0: Look now at verse 2 with me again. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day you've given to us. Thank you for another day to live. And thank you for the great truth that we have rejoiced in already that because he lives we know that he too shall live. And we thank you for the songs that we heard sung to us. We thank you for the songs that we were able to sing ourselves. We thank you for all these different parts of the service this morning that have just rejoiced our hearts. More than anything, we thank you for Jesus, who is risen from the dead. I pray even now, Father, that as we move on into God's Word and and look at the truth that you've given for us to think about today, that our hearts will be open, our hearts will be enriched. I pray, Lord, that you will loose me from every freedom and bondage of the flesh and just give me the ability to speak those things that you would have in this message today. May there be something for every heart. I pray, Father, if we have anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, I pray that we would succeed in making plain the gospel today so that men and women and boys and girls will be drawn to him i pray father that for christian folk gathered here today those who have accepted christ those who know him as their personal savior may our hearts just be warmed strangely warmed and even as those two on the road to emmaus commented that day did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us by the way i pray father that the risen christ his presence here with us this morning would cause our hearts to glow and cause them to rejoice and cause them to be open to those things that we might hear today that would edify and nurture us and make us more like him. For I pray these things now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Roll that stone away. This Easter, I would like to call your attention to a detail that I suspect that we probably don't notice. We read it when we read the stories of Easter in the Gospels, and it's sort of interesting to make the note at the outset that this detail concerning the stone is in one way or another recorded in all four of the accounts. Some of them just sort of use the passive voice and tell us the stone was rolled away. Others give us more insight into exactly what happened, but they all tell us that the stone was rolled away. The question that I have for you this morning as I lead into this message is is that really an important detail why do the Gospels make a point all four of them of including that detail that the stone was rolled away from the door of the sepulcher why do they make a point of including that and if there is some importance to it then the point in the message this morning is to inquire into why what is important about that detail well you know God never wastes words And so if God includes this in the story, we know that it must have some import. We know that it is important. We just need to think about that this morning. And I have two answers for you this morning. I'm sure you knew that I was not going to ask you that question, is it an important detail, and not tell you, yes, it is. It is an important detail. Try to give you some explanation or reason as to why that's true. First observation that I'd like to make this morning of the two is that the literal truth is truly important. Think about that for a moment. The literal truth is important. As I was saying to you earlier, all of the accounts feature this particular detail. Mark tells us something that's kind of interesting about this. He says that it's early in the morning. They pretty much all tell us that. And he says that Mary and the other Mary, we read about them here, were coming early even while it was still dark, they were coming to the sepulcher because they thought that they were going to have the opportunity now to anoint the body of Jesus. Well, you think about the Jewish burial customs. They did not embalm like we do, but they would take spices and those spices would be included along with the body and then they would be wrapped in linen-type cloths and laid then in some type of a burial mechanism like a sepulcher. The Jews buried. That's always the Bible indication it is burial. And so... That's what they thought they were coming to do. Try to remember that the women didn't have the knowledge of the fact that Joseph of Arimathea had already accomplished that to some extent. They just knew that Jesus had been rudely slain on the cross. They knew that he'd been taken down. They knew that he'd been buried. And they came to render this final act of homage and worship to him. But in their thought processes, they were thinking to themselves, who is going to roll the stone away? And Mark includes the detail that it was very great. Now think about that for a moment. Here are two or three women coming and perhaps bearing some spices. They think they're going to do this to the body of the Lord Jesus, put those spices there. But they don't know how the stone is going to be rolled away. And Mark makes the detail, as I said a moment ago, for it was very great. So we can sort of sympathize with what they were thinking. Matthew is the one who tells us what we find in verse number two here's the detail that we find only recorded in Matthew's gospel how was the stone rolled away the women were concerned about it the other gospels tell us it was rolled away how is that question answered for us in the gospels and of course yes it is it's in Matthew 28 and verse 2. Do you notice that we're told that there was a great earthquake And I want to say something to you this morning. That earthquake had nothing to do with dislodging that stone. That's clear from the verse, that the earthquake has nothing to do with dislodging the stone. If anything, I think it has to do with God giving a supernatural indication of the great and momentous thing that was going to occur and had occurred on what we today refer to as Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of the dead. We have only really, to back up in Matthew's gospel just a little bit, I think we will find reference to this. Go back into chapter 27 and verse 52, and it tells us that there, well let's look at verse 51, it tells us, behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, this takes us back to Friday at the crucifixion time, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent, and look at this, the graves were opened and many of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves look at the detail here after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many so it was one of those supernatural things that God accomplished that morning to draw attention to the great miracle that was going to be accomplished that day it was accomplished that day the resurrection of Christ from the dead So the earthquake had nothing to do with dislodging the stone. No, God sent an angel to do that because the angel has more to do than just roll the stone away. But the angel does do that. And so obviously it was important. It was important as the women came to be able to see what was going on for them to be able to see that Jesus was alive do you notice if we look at our verse number six in our text this morning Matthew 28 how the angel is there not just to roll the stone away but when the women come to say to them he is not here for he is risen as he said I might provide a simple detail for you I often say this at the end of the normal traditional Easter greeting we say the Lord is risen The people respond, the Lord is risen indeed, and I sort of like to add, just as he said, it comes from this verse. And you may say, Pastor, well, you've put a word in. Well, I'll give you this. We have in the translation before us, for he has risen as he said. What's kind of interesting to notice is here that the Greek uses the stronger word, not just host, the simple word that means as, but a stronger word that often would be to bring the strength of that out just as. So there is a focus that he is not here, the angels are saying. He is risen. Why is that true? Because he says so. He is risen just as he said. And that was the message of the angel to them that day. Then you notice this. Don't miss this because this is an important detail. Because he invites them at the end of the verse, come see the place where the Lord lay obviously it was important for them to see that jesus was alive to know that obviously it was important for them to know his claims were real it was important for them to know he is real it was important for them to know his words are true what words well it's sort of glancingly referred to in what i just already said in verse number six just as he said but if you look in luke's gospel and I'm going to read these verses for you, chapter 24 and verse 5, we pick up on something more that the angel is saying to the women. He says to them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee. What were his words? What did he say? The angel says, I want you to remember what he said. Remember his words that he spoke to you When he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day, rise again. The angel went on to promise that they would see him with their own eyes, as they did. I want you to notice the progression of things that we see, looking for that idea of see, because that's what I'm going to be talking about really in this message today. So notice verse number 7. And it says here, And quickly, go quickly, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. The next verse says, They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now notice, the next verse is very interesting, because they got what you might call a dividend. They didn't have to wait till Galilee. They got it right there, right then. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus meant them, saying, all hail. Now, if you'll pardon me for a moment, I'd like to give you a little something else that I believe enriches this. Probably when the translators rendered this all hail, it may have had the significance, maybe, that it really has. But we don't quite get that. We don't quite use that greeting for people today what's really interesting is to look and find what's in the original where it says it is actually an imperative and it is in the present tense from the verb that is to rejoice and so when you translate it that day that way and you put the idea of joy into it Jesus is really saying to them oh be glad or he might be saying to them oh joy that's important, really, because we don't much say all hail today, but we might say something like that. We might call attention to the great joy. That's very important. Jesus is calling attention, not to sadness like we encountered with the two on the road to Emmaus, right? Not the sadness, but gladness. And he says to them, oh joy, oh be glad. That's important. And then he says this, and they came and It tells us this, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren to go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. It was important for them to see the risen Christ. And if we look later in the chapter, the last verse I call your attention to here, where you're going to see the fulfillment of that, although more was going to take place Resurrection Sunday, this is the detail that Matthew gives us, verse number 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They saw him. It was important for them to see him. Beloved, before we leave this, as you look once again up here at this screen and you see this point that we are really trying to make, the literal truth is important. There's no allegory to this. The point is that it's very important for us to understand this morning that Christianity cannot tolerate any other version of the resurrection that one that tells us anything but a literally risen Christ. I want to say to you this morning, we are living in a time of rationalism. We are living in a time of modernistic theology. We are living in a time where liberal churches seem to have no problem with explaining away the resurrection. Christianity cannot tolerate anything less than a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are reasons for this, and we will explore those in just a little while. But first of all, I want to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 so that we might see some of this. First of all, you need to understand that Christianity without the literal resurrection of Christ has no gospel. You may want to turn so that you can see this for yourself and have it underscored in your minds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1, Paul is saying this about the gospel. As he writes to Corinth, where they had had a little trouble with this actually, and he says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye received and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." Now look at it. here's the gospel: for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Well, we think of great places in the Old Testament that call our attention to this. Not just the types, like in the Passover lamb. But we think, for example, of beautiful places like Isaiah 53 that call our attention to the fact Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. All we like sheep, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the great suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. That too was foretold that he would make be numbered with transgressors and make his grave with the rich. We are told that also in that same place in the Old Testament. And then it says this, there is a third very important component to the gospel without which we really don't have the gospel. And it's this last phrase that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And you can find those places like Psalm 16. And you can certainly find the other places, many, many, many other places in the Old Testament where not only we have. Like in Psalm 16, the explicit truth, calling attention to the resurrection of Christ. You'll find the apostles calling attention to that very scripture in Acts chapter 2. But basically, when you think about this for a moment this morning, beloved, you take the whole tenor of the Old Testament. It is impossible... To have on the one hand the suffering servant who dies on the cross of Calvary for our sins, and then have the glorified Redeemer and the coming King who is coming to rule and reign over this earth, it's impossible to have those two without the resurrection. Did you ever stop and think about that? So when Paul says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This was the gospel Paul preached. You do not have the Paulan gospel. You do not have the biblical gospel without the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know that's what he's talking about? Well, let's just see him tell us. He says in verse number 5, And he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. He was seen. Remember, I was talking about this. He was seen. It's important to see him. He was seen of Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James. This is James, the Lord's brother, his half-brother. Then of all the apostles. And Paul says this, last of all. How wonderful it is the Holy Spirit enabled Paul to include that wonderful and important point that led to conversion in his own life. What was it that led to the conversion of the Apostle Paul? On the road to Damascus, meeting the risen Christ, and finding out that this man whom he regarded as an interloper, an imposter, a criminal who deserved everything he got on the cross of Calvary, was there by the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He was exactly who he said he was. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Son of God and he is risen. And the Apostle Paul fell to the earth and opened his heart to Jesus Christ. Last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. We come later in the chapter and we find the implication of us. You say, well, pastor, okay, so they, in the first century, James, the apostles, all of them, Peter, they saw this risen Christ. Well, he goes on to explain the importance of this. He says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? I ask the same question today. Why shouldn't we ask the very same question today? How is it that some people say that Christ really didn't rise from the dead? You don't know what you're talking about. And I'll point that out in just a moment. I wasn't trying to be rude or arrogant. You don't know what you're talking about. Christ most certainly did rise from the dead. But one thing is sure, we have no gospel and whatever it is that we preach to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely vain and worthless. You might as well get up right now and walk out and go home if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. But if there be no resurrection, verse 13, of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. I'm wasting my time this morning, beloved. And your faith, not just my preaching, your faith. Your faith is also vain. Yea, also and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ risen And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished in this day. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But Paul says, no, don't get up and go home and walk out. Because he says, now has Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Beloved, I want to tell you something this morning. I commented a minute ago, you don't know what you're talking about if you deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to give you several examples of what it is that I'm saying so you will understand the spirit in which I say that. You can cite all sorts of examples of people who began as skeptics. Hear me. All sorts of examples of people who began as skeptics, agnostics, and atheists. But when they honestly confronted the evidence both in history and in the Bible, concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changed them. In the 18th century, there were two British skeptics. One man was named Gilbert West, and the other was named George Littleton. George Littleton was a member of Parliament, so he is most typically referred to as Lord Littleton. These two men were skeptics, and they came together to disprove Christianity, or so they thought. They did perceive this, and in this they were correct, that if someone could disprove the conversion of the Apostle Paul, and if someone else could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would fall flat on its face. You know that's true. The two great linchpins of Christianity are first and foremost the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the conversion of the Apostle Paul, which was an outcropping of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they set out to study the evidence as presented both in the Scripture and in history. In the end, both men... You can look this up, I'm not making this up. In the end, both of these men were convinced of the truth of both of the events. Each of them wrote a book outlining what they found. Lord Littleton's book was called Observations on the Conversion of St. Paul. Gilbert West went and studied the resurrection of Jesus Christ and wrote the book Observations on the Resurrection of Christ. Coming to our own century, or, it's hard to get used to this being the 21st, 20th century, okay, the one that is just a little in the past a man by the name of Frank Morrison probably not a household word but a great example he was an attorney and he was a skeptic now do you suppose that attorneys are generally used to evaluating evidence probably well he also tried to refute the resurrection of Christ he found that the evidence overwhelmingly was, con- was overwhelmingly convinced, convincing. He was converted. Went on to become an apologist for Christianity and wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? A skeptic looks at the death and resurrection of Christ. Or do you know the name C.S. Lewis? Who also began as a skeptic, a Britisher who also began as a skeptic, but who became a believer by honestly analyzing the evidence for Christianity, and you probably know the name of his book, Mere Christianity. Or, if you want a different style of example, how about this? A teenager by the name of Josh McDowell. He's an agnostic in his teenage years, until until a fellow teenager confronted him with this challenge Disprove the resurrection of Christ he took the challenge he studied historical evidence and became convinced that Jesus died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead and you know his book evidence that demands a verdict they're all over the place beloved but I want you to hear of one more one that is probably right up on your front burner If not, then maybe you can look into this a little bit more. A man by the name of Lee Strobel, the journalist for the Chicago Tribune, was a confirmed atheist back in the 1970s and 80s. But his wife Leslie, who had also been an agnostic, became converted probably like a lot of people in that situation, he thought about divorce. But somehow she succeeded in getting him to come to church a time or two. And with the mind that he had as he listened to what he heard in church, he became convinced of one thing. He realized one thing for sure, and that is if Christianity were true, it had major implications for his life. He got that right. He spent two years investigating the evidence for Christianity. He interviewed scientists, he interviewed philosophers, he interviewed historians. He read extensively the works of Christian apologists. And after two years, he became convinced that Christianity is true. His well-known book, The Case for Christ, has been made into a very well-received film. No, you really don't know what you're talking about if you deny the resurrection of Christ because more than likely you've never really looked into it. More than likely it's just easy to sit in the safety of your little world where you can just sort of explain these things away so you don't have to worry about the truth of the gospel and accept these modern ideas that, oh, well, it was maybe just this or that no, the truth of the matter is is if you ever got honest in your heart and looked into the Scripture and looked into history, more than likely if you did that openly with an honest heart, you'd become convinced of how true Christianity is. Beloved, Christianity hasn't st- stood the test of time for more than 20 centuries without being true, I can tell you that. So I will say it again, the literal truth is important because Christianity cannot dispense with a literal bodily resurrection of jesus now let's talk about the second thing because not only is the literal truth important but the spiritual truth is important too because the literal event really does have spiritual import that's really the whole reason to talk about this and what is that spiritual import let's just as crucial may i make this statement to you it's just as crucial for people today also to see jesus to know that he's real to know that his word is true and to know that christianity works it's just as important for people today to know about the risen christ and to see him let me give you an example 1975 I had the privilege of taking a study tour to Israel and also to Turkey where the journeys of Paul took place. I can remember this particular scene almost as if it were yesterday. That we had gone to the northern city of Haifa, it's a port city for Israel there along the Mediterranean coast. And I don't remember really what other things we had gone into that particular area to see. I don't know if it was Caesarea Philippi or something like that but we made our way over to Haifa Israel what was there? well not so much a Christian thing but what's there is the international headquarters of the Baha'i faith you may not know a very, lo- a very much or a lot about the Baha'i faith it's a world religion that teaches the essential worth of all religions think about that for a moment really? Really? They can't all be true. But anyway, they teach the essential worth of all religions and the unity and equality of all people. Well, we got to where the shrine is and we were required to remove our shoes. So we took our shoes off. We were invited then to go inside to view the tomb of the founder of the Baha'i faith a man by the name of Baha'u'llah. When I went into that place, not in the vertical position, but in the horizontal position, sort of like the communion table here, there were stones. They were flat, polished, not irregular, like what was covering the tomb of Jesus. And there in the center was one that had been specifically engraved that told you, that here you had the grave of Baha'u'llah. Let's contrast that for a moment by going to Jerusalem. There you can go and see Gordon's Calvary, which would seem to be the place where Golgotha was. And then a short distance from that, down from that hill, they will take you to see what is called Gordon's, not Gordon's Calvary, but the Garden Tomb. Can we prove today that that was the place where Jesus was buried? No, it certainly meets all the descriptions, though, in the scripture that tell us that nearby there was a garden and in the garden a tomb. And the description that we're given that Joseph of Arimathea had hewn that tomb. Think about up here at the front and just think about one of these doors in the wall, like over there, and you've got the idea, like a rocky face. And then in that, a tomb is hewn. You go there and I'm telling you something, it's empty. Nobody's coming and taking you to that place and saying, here, let me show you the grave. Here, let me show you where Jesus is buried. Because Jesus isn't buried there. He isn't there anymore. It's what distinguishes, it's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. And it's still important for men and women and boys and girls to see him. How do they see him? They see him in changed lives. This was exactly what happened with Lee Strobel and his wife Leslie. They see him in changed lives. He didn't understand it at first. He didn't like it at first. He thought she had become some type of a prude. But he couldn't deny that there was something real. Jesus is real. It's important for people to see that. It starts with authentic conversions. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold all things are become new. It starts with authentic conversions. Let me pause for a moment to ask you, have you ever been authentically converted? You will not be a candidate for people to see Jesus in you if you have never been authentically converted because Jesus is not in you you may know certain Christian truth and you may live it out better than some Christians but Jesus is in those who are born again therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things are passed away behold all things are become new do you remember a time in your life when you were born again do you remember a time in your life when you came to understand that you were a sinner who needed to be saved That understanding that, you also believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died on the cross of Calvary and rose again. And maybe someone even showed you that verse in Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you finish it. Thou shalt be saved. As far as I know, that happened to me when I was 17. You have a story, too. But you're not preaching this morning so i'll just quickly tell you because i'll tell you one thing my only point is to not to dramatize my own but to tell you that i knew i was different and so did my friends i was a 17 year old young man and into the same stuff that 17 year old young men can get into especially when they're not saved i just thank god i didn't get into more i thank god he spared me from that but you know all of Folk like that tend to mess around some, and I was just going the same way my friends were until one day God had been working in my heart. My brother had become a Christian. I said, I think I'll go to that church. Those people are Christian neighbors witnessing to us all the time. I think I'll go, but I certainly understand that it wasn't some bright idea on my part it was the Holy Spirit who had just been working and working and working in my heart well I went to that place and I saw something I never really seen before I saw authentic Christianity I didn't say perfect people I saw people that were different than any other people that I really had I, I mean we grew up in church I've told you that we grew up in church we went all the time in the morning I went to that church in the evening and it just wasn't the same thing. The people were different. There was a warmth to them. There was a genuineness to them. There was something different about the message. You know, we heard the facts of the Christian religion where I was brought up in church. But there was something different about this, where the preaching of God's word was done in such a way that the gospel was presented, the truths of Christianity were presented as something that were real for our lives. Not just some homily that the minister got from some book somewhere. I started going. I I referred in my prayer, I think, earlier to Strangely Warmed. You know who that was, don't you? That was John Wesley, who was there that night in that gathering of Moravians when they started reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans and he said he felt his heart strangely warmed. I had that experience. They weren't reading the preface to Romans, I can tell you that, but they were, they were just fellowshipping and praising the Lord and singing the hymns in a way that I'd never heard before and preaching the Word in a way that I'd never heard before. I said, wow, I've never experienced anything like this. I wanted to keep going, and I did, and I kept going. Finally got time to make a decision about where to go to college, and I could have gone to Clemson. I could have gone to Georgia Tech. Those opportunities were open to me. Why did I choose what I chose? Because I went there on a visitor's day to Bob Jones University and walked on those sidewalks with kids that carried Bibles and weren't ashamed. With kids who invited me to their class, and I went in that classroom and sat down and they offered their Bible to me to look on because I was obviously a visitor who didn't know diddly squat about what was going on, but they wanted to make me feel at home. I saw authentic Christianity. I'm not saying you can't see it other places. I'm just saying I saw it there. I went to the building at that time that was the biggest they had to house the student body. And they had a special chapel that morning. And I went in there and the song leader got up and they sang, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I never heard anything like that in all my life. And I just said, forget chemical engineering. I want this. I want this. What happened? It's important for people to see Jesus. Where do we see him? Well, we see him in authentic conversions. It continues, of course, as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but he says there, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it was that when Peter and John were called on the carpet in the fourth chapter of Acts, because in the third chapter of Acts, Peter had preached his second sermon. And they were called on the carpet. Did we not straightly charge you not to preach? They were grieved because they were preaching through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Did we not straightly charge you, they said, not to preach this doctrine? And then we get down to verse 13 and what does it tell us? It says, Now when they beheld the boldness, their boldness, they perceived in their heart that they were unlearned and ignorant men that just means uneducated they took knowledge of them that they had been with jesus where did they get this boldness beloved think about it these were the same people who forsook him and fled in the garden these were the same this was the same peter preaching who had denied jesus before where does he now get the boldness these are the same men who that very evening of the resurrection were in a room with the doors closed it says for fear of the jews where does he get the courage and boldness to stand up and preach two sermons where does he get that from you get that from experiencing the risen christ It was the risen Christ that transformed the Peter of Passover into the Peter of Pentecost. A little while later in the history of the church, in the 11th chapter of Acts, Barnabas and Paul were together at Antioch. What a team that must have been. They were preaching in that place. And Luke gives us a little footnote and says this in Luke 11, in Acts 11.26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So what are we going to call these people? What are we going to call these people? Well, we'll call them Christians. Why? Because they look, act, and talk like Jesus. But sometimes, I'm telling you, beloved, we fail, don't we? We fail because we don't live in such a way that people can see Jesus very readily. I bet you can identify with this story. This is told by one of the Daily Bread authors that well, a pers- he was driving in rush hour traffic, and you know how that can be. That's the test of your Christianity if there ever was one. Most of us around here don't realize how good we have it. You go and really get in it one of these times and you'll see something like you've never seen in your life and it'll test you like something's never tested you in your life. He said he saw this car. We've all seen cars like this. It saw a car up ahead that had one of those smiley faces. <laughs> a smiley car. And it, by it, on the bumper sticker, it said, Jesus loves you. We've all seen ones like that. About that time, someone cut in right in front of the smiley car. The guy had to slam on his brakes to keep from hitting the guy who had cut in in front of him, whereupon he glared at the guy, which I don't know if the guy could see him glaring or not, and shook his fist. Jesus loves you. Ever done that before? Oh, I suppose we probably can really identify with that story, and it's a little bit like the chimney of a, an old-time kerosene lamp. Don't you love those? I don't know, to me, I, there's something about that. I love candles and I love those old lights. But sometimes if the wick isn't kept trimmed just right, and it starts to get a little smudgy, doesn't it? And You can't see the light so well because of all the smudge that accumulates on the chimney of the lamp. Light doesn't shine out, but yet Jesus said to us, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine, he said, before men, that they may see, see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He wants them to see Jesus in us because he has predetermined that each of us who trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior will be conformed to the image of his Son. And he's doing that moment by moment, day by day, in our lives. Sometimes we get in the way. And sometimes we fail. There's another text I want to call your attention to as we draw to a close. In John's Gospel, you don't have to turn to this, but it was the time of the Passover. Time of the feast. Maybe he doesn't say which feast in that verse, but it was the, the time of the feast and Jerusalem was filled with all these people and it says there were certain Greeks and they came to Philip and here's what they said to Philip how'd you like to have someone say this to you sir we would see Jesus I've never had this experience but it interests me to hear that when the historic church of the open door was in downtown Los Angeles you could go stand behind the pulpit. It would be interesting to try this sometime if you could have done that. It was was said that you looked out into a massive auditorium, seats everywhere, double balcony, not one but two. So that if you were standing behind the pulpit, imagining that you might be able to give a message in that filled house, you might be tempted to have a momentary flash of self-importance. Until you looked down at the pulpit and saw a little plaque that was right there for every speaker to see, Sir, we would see Jesus. Because I'm telling you, beloved, this world hungers and yearns and needs more than anything else in this world to see the risen Christ. Where will they see Him if they don't see Him in me and in you who profess His name? Sometimes the stone is in the way. Just as it was that morning, those ladies were coming, they needed to see that Jesus is real. They needed to see that Jesus is risen. The stone was in the way. The angel rolled it away. My question to you this morning is, what stone is in your life? What impediment is in your life? What becomes between you and other people seeing Jesus in you? And if there is such an impediment, if there is such a stone, in my life or in yours, my message to you this morning is roll that stone away. A preacher tells the story, a real one, it's a World War II story. It comes from Paris. That there there was a teenage boy who had become orphaned through all of the atrocities of Hitler during the war. So no mom, no dad, he's an orphan. What does he do? He plies the streets. He looks for food, he looks for clothing, anything that he can find to meet his needs. looks for shelter. But he has so many other people around him that have the very same experience that either people don't notice him or people ignore him. And anybody who has something, they ignore him too. Sometime before that, some several years before this, he had heard talk about God and talk about Jesus. But then the war came. And he soon forgot or lost what little meager faith he might have once had. One cold morning, he's plying the streets in Paris. He's looking, looking. He stops outside of one of those cafes or bakeries like you will find in Europe. If you've ever been there and you've ever had this experience, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't mess around with this stuff that's day old. It's fresh every day, baked there. Mmm really smells good. And that boy walked up to that window of that place, stopped outside the glass door, the glass window, and was looking in, feasting his eyes on all of these pastries and breads and things like that. He was so intense looking at this that he didn't notice an American GI walked up behind him but he did notice when the GI walked on past him and went into the store and he especially noticed when the GI went into the store and all of a sudden he started pointing and the baker got out a bag and started putting in muffins and pastries and other things until the bag began to bulge he noticed all that Then the G.I. left the store. He walked out, came right to the boy, knelt down in front of him, gave him the bag. The boy didn't know what to say. He was absolutely astonished. Finally, he found some words, and when he found some words to say to the G.I., this is what he said. Hey, Mr., Are you Jesus? Beloved people need to see the risen Christ. Where will they see Him if they do not see Him in my life and they do not see Him in your life? And heaven forbid that they look at us and don't see Him when they hear a loud profession And we do harm to his cause. But may our hearts this morning be tender to the desire to have people see Jesus in us. In order that the Spirit of God might use that to kindle some interest, some conviction, some desire to know more about what it is that makes that person different. What it is that gives hope. What it is that gives joy what it is that gives values, what it is that gives certainty in an uncertain world. May God use us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.